Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Hello and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak and I'm a certified financial planner practitioner. This is a show to help you understand your money better. We have a great show this week. We're going to continue our conversation about GameStop and a lawsuit that's come up. We're also going to look at some potential legislation to lower student loan debt. In honor of Valentine's Day, we're going to talk about your money and your significant other, and then finally end with, so how much can you gift your spouse? So let's get started with the Bulls and Bears market and economic update, and I want to talk more about the GameStop situation of last week. There's been a lawsuit, no big surprise there, against the companies that halted trading of GameStop. Remember what happened was the Reddit community began to buy GameStop, driving up its price, causing the hedge funds that thought it was going to go lower to lose a lot of money. So a number of brokerage firms either halted the buying trade altogether, or they put restrictions on it. And this lawsuit is against 36 defendants. Now, sometimes there's multiple charges against the same person, but the brokerage firms included Robinhood, Schwab, TD Ameritrade, Interactive Brokers, Morgan Stanley, E-Trade, Ally Financial, bunches of other companies, but those are some of the ones that you may have heard of. And it's saying that what they did by blocking the individual investors' ability to buy, it was robbing them of a perfectly legal market opportunity. And no doubt, there were some of those brokerage firms that stopped the buying of the stock. However, according to Schwab, and I will include the link to this both in the description of the show and the podcast, just in case you guys are looking at it. I took this from a Think Advisor article. Schwab said that neither Schwab nor Ameritrade, now remember, Schwab just acquired TD Ameritrade, so that would be why they'd be speaking on their behalf, halted the buying or selling of any stocks. Neither firm restricted buying or selling basic options. Remember, we talked about options last week, too. However, both firms did adjust the margin requirements on select stocks to ensure clients had sufficient assets to pay for stock purchases, and both firms also restricted certain advanced option strategies. So if, in fact, that statement is both accurate and true, because this could have broken down any number of ways, and I don't want to accuse Schwab, which I think is a really good company, of doing something that someone's just claimed that they did, and I don't want to talk over their explanation of this. But if, in fact, what Schwab is saying in this is both true and accurate, what it sounds like they did was change the margin cash requirements. Now, the reason I keep kind of stumbling over this is typically when you're buying long, you buy it with cash that you have. 
Now, if in fact people were buying on margin or basically buying a stock on a credit card and prom promising to pay for it later, okay, margin is when you're buying on borrowed money. So they would be able to make an adjustment there. And I suspect in the fine print of every agreement that these people signed who were trying to place the trade, there was a little clause that nobody paid any attention to that said we can change margin requirements at any time. Now, I understand when you're opening an investment account, the paperwork, the details can get completely overwhelming. I understand this. But if what Schwab is saying is true, this is why it makes a lot of sense to pay very close attention to what you're signing when you're signing a contract. And especially if you're interested in doing something like margin trading. Now, quite frankly, I'm not a fan of margin trading. Now, that's not advice. I'm just saying I'm not a fan. Too much can go wrong in the stock market to want to do it with borrowed money. But if in fact you're wanting to do margin trading, then what you need to read is exactly what is going on with it and how do you make sure you stay within the margin requirements. If you want to trade options, and again, I'm not advocating that, I'm just simply stating it, you need to make sure that you know all of the rules around what they require for option trading. So you don't get caught into something where suddenly they don't allow you to place a trade exactly when you wanted to place it. So I'll keep you up to date on the lawsuit. It's probably going to take a while to churn through the courts. The SEC is looking at things. This, this is a pretty big deal. Now, there was a lot of money lost on this by the individual investors. And so I'm not sure that I think the likelihood of it happening again anytime soon is as great as I thought it might have been last week, but I still think that it's really important that we understand it so that when we're trying to figure out what the market's doing, we've got a better idea. Now, having said that, and if you listened last week, you know that I was not opposed to the Reddit people buying the stocks knowingly understanding what they were doing simply to drive the price down for the hedge funds. I understand it made in your regular market. I understand all of that. But I also am a very big believer in what the individual investor has the right to do. So I want to frame that before I continue talking because I want to warn you about something that might have been at play in what happened with Reddit. Quite frankly, I don't think it was, but there's some people who are starting to raise it as a possibility, and it's very easy to fall into this trap. I've also seen this trap with precious metals. I've seen it with, um, with Bitcoin and all of those other alternative currencies, and I've seen it back in the dot-com bubble with small companies. I mentioned it last week, but I think it's worth a second conversation this week. It is a scam, and it's called a pump and dump. In a pump and dump, the idea is a group of people who already own the stock want to raise the stock price. And so they put out rumors. They put out information. Now, back in the day, it was a phone call. 
after it was a phone call, it was a fax that was waiting on your fax machine when you got to work the next morning. And it'd be like, ooh, buy this, you know, undiscovered stock. It's selling for three cents a share. It's going to go to $100. You know, you, you buy the stock, nothing happens. But what they're trying to do is get enough people to buy it that they can pump up junk stocks. Now, usually AMC and GameStop would actually be a little bit bigger than a pump and dump scheme. I've usually seen them with penny stocks where um, it's just a wild and woolly trading frenzy that I don't know that you would want to go there. But again, that's your business. Um, but you need to be very careful where you're getting your information from. Who's telling you this is guaranteed to go up? Now, from the original plan of what Reddit was doing, they were just trying to drive it up to hurt the hedge funds. I don't know if at some point someone started a pump and dump scheme on other Reddit rooms or in other sources where they're like, hey, look at AMC. It's here. It's going to go to $100 a share. People saw it was going up. They bought it. Then the people who already owned it sold it. Typically, they own enough of the shares that they undercut the value of the stock and the price falls. So they pump up the price and they dump their shares and they leave the poor people who bought it at the top holding the bag, now owning the piece of junk that it was in the first place. So I've seen this with, with Bitcoin. I've seen guarantees of, oh, wow, Bitcoin's definitely going to go to here. Anytime you hear that, be super careful. I understand there are earnings estimates. This isn't that this is more of a freewheeling claim. It also tends to happen in a little shadier venues. And nothing wrong with Reddit, but Reddit isn't a vetted stock market source. You really want to get your data from vetted sources. We talked about that last week. But I've seen it with precious metals. A lot of times it'll be those slightly alternative investments or just a stock you've absolutely never heard of. So before you believe what you read, I want you to be really careful and I want you to do some research because pump and dump schemes are, are common. They're old. They've been featured in movies. They were in Boiler Room. They were in The Wolf, the wolf of Wall Street. And so you just need to be careful because people out there, even when things start out legit, people are always looking to make the buck. And especially if you're kind of on the fringes of investing, you've got to be really careful. I don't want you to get hurt. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the legislative update of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And I have some legislative news today that might be a little bit more practical than some of the topics that I cover. You know, I talk a lot about making sure your financial advisor is acting in your best interest, and all of that's really important. But today's legislation is really where the rubber hits the road, and it's the canceling of student loan debt. Now, let me start out by making kind of a general disclaimer. I am not telling you whether you should or should not pay off your student loan debt early if you're in the middle of doing that right now, okay? I don't give advice like that on this show. 
I will, however, tell you that if I had student loan debt, personally, I would wait to see how some of this played out before I continued making early payments. Because if something did pass, it would be too bad if I had paid off my debt early and then there was some relief and I couldn't take advantage of it because I didn't have any debt. So that's as close to giving advice as I'm going to come on this. But I just want you to be aware that this is going on and then make all of your decisions around that information. So there's been some talk for a while about canceling at least some kind of student loan debt. And apparently it can be done by either legislation or executive order. Apparently it is in fact possible for the president to sign an executive order that cancels student loan debt. And I think that President Biden is really hoping that legislation can come out that he can sign. He is on the record as being in favor of canceling up to $10,000 of student loan debt. Now, I keep not really seeing the details on this. If I were guessing, and I'm only guessing here, okay, I'll tell you when I've got data to back up what I'm saying, and I'll tell you when I'm making things up. And right now, as an official, I am making this up, but I think my assumptions are logical. So there's two different kinds of student loans you can have. You can have a private student loan, or you can have a student loan that has a government affiliation. I suspect the loans that will get canceled will be the loans that have the government affiliation, unless the government just simply writes a $10,000 check to these lenders to cover the loan payment that they're asking them to, to drop. So I'm thinking it's probably government-based student loans, but if it is private, they're going to have to replace that money to those lenders or if they don't, those lenders are not going to continue to make student loans. I mean, they're just not. It's not fair to make a loan, expect to get it paid back, and then it doesn't get paid back. I, I know they're banks. I know they've got a lot of money. I know they can be irritating beyond belief, but fair is still fair. And if somebody makes you a loan, they've got to be made whole because of it. Now, the $10,000 is not... Um, is not what some of the more progressive Democrats are looking for. They're looking for a $40,000 student loan forgiveness. And if they in fact got a $40,000 student loan forgiveness, it would be a remarkable benefit for a lot of people who have bachelor's degrees. They're making good money, not great money, you know, these are more of our more working level, probably not the graduate school, unless they're college professors, in which case there's a lot of graduate school and not necessarily a lot of income. But that $40,000 will, will really go a long way to paying off a lot of people's student debts. I don't know which one's going to pass. I strongly think that one of them will. I know that Biden wants it done legislatively not through executive order. Um, and it's possible it could be done 
um, legislatively rather than through executive orders, simply because the Democrats have both the House and the Senate. Now, the other big news right now is the enormous stimulus bill. I'm going to talk about that next week or the week after that when I understand the details of the bill a little bit more so I can give you guys more more knowledge about it rather than just some of the things because it's not through yet and bills undergo many, many changes before they become laws. So I, I think we're wasting time right now to spend a lot of time hashing out details of things that might not happen. But the student loan situation is really interesting. It would help a lot of families the $10,000 would would help. Um, $10,000 always helps. $40,000 would help more. It's really, it's really going to be interesting to follow this. Of course, you know I have a legislative section in every show. I will absolutely be following this. I will let you know what I find out. And as we have updates to this, I'll keep you in the loop. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Plan Your Prosperity segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. It's almost Valentine's Day. And if you're like most people, you're thinking about flowers and chocolate hearts and candlelit dinners. I just sent my 97-year-old great-uncle a box of chocolate chip cookies for Valentine's Day. We, we think about fun, sweet things to do for people. What we don't usually think about when we're thinking about Valentine's Day and the people that we love is to talk about money. However, not talking about money is a leading cause of relationship stress. And in fact, Money issues are the number one cause for divorce, even higher than infidelity. And I know that people hear that statistic and they don't want to believe it. And yet, if any of the data out there about why people divorce is accurate, people get divorced more often because they're fighting about money. They can't stand the way their partner is handling money. They feel as though, the, as though their partner is abusing them the way they're handling the money. So even though you still might want to keep that lobster dinner and bottle of champagne back in the fridge for a little bit later, talking about money with your significant other is a really great way to help make your relationship better. So the first step to take is to talk about your financial goals and dreams with each other. Find out what that other person really wants to see happen. And this involves quite a bit of trust, both on being willing to talk about it with the other person, and then that other person has to reciprocate the trust by being kind about it. Whether you like what they say or not, if you find out that your spouse really wants to quit their day job and become a musician, what are you thinking is not the appropriate response. Okay, you need to hear them out and then try to create compromise goals where outright goals might not be possible. If someone wants to be a musician, maybe there's a way they could do it as a hobby. 
Maybe you, as the person that they love, need to be okay for them being gone a couple of evenings a week so they can go to a local club or play with a local band so they can fulfill that part of themselves. I promise you that when both people in the relationship feel fulfilled, the relationship goes much better. Financial goals and dreams also usually cost money. And so if you know what the other person wants, then you can help create a saving plan to get there. Or if it's not possible, figure out the compromise. Now, the next step you should do is keep a little spending money for each of you that you don't have to answer for. I've always been a fan of spending money in the budgeting process because here's here's the, the hidden secret here. Don't tell anybody. You're going to spend the money anyway. And so if you go ahead and budget in a little spending money, it lets you stay on your budget. The amount of spending money that you have has everything to do with how much money you have. And I'm not even going to give you a percentage because if your budget's really tight, it may just need to be two or three dollars a week that then you can save up and do what you want to with. Okay, I, I don't know. Obviously, the more money there is, the more discretionary income there is, the easier it is for you to both have decent amounts of spending money. But you need to each have an amount it should be roughly equal because a marriage is an equal partnership and it will cut down on a lot of resentment, even if one of you isn't working. Just my opinion. But then here's the second piece of it. You, as the other party, don't get to comment on what your significant other spends it on. So if you are a saver, and your significant other likes to game, likes to go to gaming. So I keep speaking of GameStop. Okay, and you, they're buying online video games. You can't say anything about it if it's coming out of the spending money. Okay, the only time it would be appropriate to make a comment is if what they were purchasing was really self-destructive or dangerous to the relationship, like alcohol or drugs or other items that, that could be truly damaging. But if it's just things that you think are silly or stupid, this is not the time for you to make that information public. Okay, first of all, your significant other already knows you don't like it. We don't keep those secrets well. But this is their spending money. Leave them alone with it. Then they have to leave you alone with yours. And that's going to cut down on so much stress. Make major financial decisions together and you both need to know what the bills are and how to pay them. This is mostly to help in case someone dies unexpectedly or becomes unexpectedly severely ill. I've seen situations where the remaining spouse or significant other did not even know where the bills were or how many bills there were or how to pay them or even necessarily where all the bank accounts were. Okay, do not keep secrets like that in your marriage. And if you feel like you need a secret bank account, that's probably over my pay grade to try to help you figure out what's really going on there. So make sure you both know what the bills are. Now, that doesn't mean one of you can't take the responsibility for paying them most of the time. 
but everyone in the relationship needs to know what they are and how to pay them in case something went wrong. Next, never use money as a weapon in a fight. Fights start about one thing and then they evolve and they become real fights about something else. You know, generally what triggers the fight, the squabble in the first place, is often not what the fight ends up being about. Often what the fight ends up being about is the real underlying issue why the squabble happened in the first place. But don't bring up money as a weapon. In fact, really, you shouldn't fight with weapons in the first place, but I'm only, I only am qualified to talk about the money side. But if somebody made a bad financial decision and you're mad at them, this is not the time to bring it back up. If somebody lost a job, this is really not the time to bring it up. And yet money becomes a weapon because we can have a lot of resentment about how our partners have made financial decisions. That is something you'll probably want to work out with a therapist, again, outside my pay grade. But you need to start paying attention to, even if it's not coming out of your mouth, what are you thinking, even if you're not saying it? And try to come up with a way to keep the relationship between you and your partner and your money healthy between the three of you. And finally, even if your marriage is great and things are just going bad financially, it's really easy to stress out your kids and not even be aware that you're doing it. Try to have conversations about scary money things at times your kids can't hear it because your kids worry. Anybody who thinks children have carefree lives has not been a child in enough years because kids worry. And the problem with a child who worries is they worry without having the tools to do anything about it. If you all cannot pay your rent or your mortgage, your kid can't help. And they're going to be worried about the fact they can't help. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't talk to your children about money. You should. Talking to kids about money teaches them good financial habits. But if things are really falling apart, try to keep those conversations to yourself. Work out what you're going to talk to the kids about and then present the kids with a united front. If you have to move because there's not enough money, that's okay. And you may have to tell them that, but do it in a way that they don't panic. It's super unfair to kids to put them under that much pressure. So finally, remember that opposites attract. It is likely that one of you is a spender and one of you is a saver, and that's okay. You fell in love with that person, but what you want to do is create good money habits and good communication skills so what started out as cute doesn't become irritating down the road. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. Remember, if you'd like to submit a question to the show, go to askpeggy.com, that's A-S-K-P-E-G-G-Y.com, and submit your question. Today's question is also sort of Valentine's related, and I get asked it quite a bit. And the question is, how much can I give my spouse without triggering gift tax. 
And on the surface, it seems easy, but there's some weird exceptions to it. So first of all, it's important for you to understand that the IRS says a spouse is a legally married husband or wife. It can be same sex. It can be opposite sex. It doesn't matter. As long as you're legally married, that person is your spouse. And if your spouse is an American citizen, the amount you can gift them is unlimited. However, if they're not a U.S. citizen, then the tax-free gift is limited to $159,000 in the year 2021. Sounds like a lot of money until you buy a house. If you're not married to the person, then you're limited to the annual exclusion, which is $15,000. That's all you can give them. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money. <laughs>